approach the scriptures today, we need to ask ourselves one question. Okay, I'm not serious. Here we go. All right. Roll up your sleeves. This is back and forth. Okay, it's on both sides. I'll get outside of you around two-ish. All right, see, I know that some of you were worried. As soon as Taz said that I'd be up here speaking, I wanted to eliminate the two most extreme of possibilities for you, okay? Don't worry, just relax. Some of you are still worried. This is blank paper. It's going back in the workroom as soon as I'm done. All right. We're going to talk about grace today. How much is grace worth? All right, if someone offered us a piece of cake, and I know I've, I've always talked about pieces of cake, every single Wednesday night almost that I've been speaking in front of the church, I've talked about cake, and it's because it's delicious. All right, we're all going to go to Walmart after this and buy different cakes. But if someone offers you a piece of cake, would you expect to pay a dollar for it? Would you look on that giver with suspicion, thinking that they might actually want a donation? Or would you accept that piece of cake gratefully as offered, no strings attached? What if the shoe is on the other foot? If we were giving someone a piece of cake, would, they, would we expect them to pay for it? And this is birthday cake, it's free, okay? If we were going to give them a piece of cake, would we expect them to pay for it? Or, take it a step further, would we expect them to pass some series of tests? Or, or some kind of obstacles or fulfill some kind of expectations before we give them that piece of cake. Just remember that as we go throughout this time, think about it. How many here had to watch their younger siblings as you were growing up? A few of us? A few of us? All right. I had to, okay? I come from a family of 13. That's right. 13, I remember 7 of 11 children. Now... When I usually tell people that, there are four questions that always come up in our course of discussion. So I think I'll just answer these for you right now. Yes, same parents. No, we were not Catholic. <laughs> Unfortunately, we only had two bathrooms. And lastly, from uh, the oldest to the youngest, my brothers and sisters' names, Amy, Andrew, Risa, Beth, Laura, Eve, Jesse, Rachel, Jerry, Jonathan, and David. I said that quick, let me slow it down. I had to put my own name in there because if I didn't do that, I'd mess up. Amy, Andrew, Marisa, Beth, Laura, Eve, Jesse, Lee, Rachel, Jerry, Jonathan, and David. Okay? Now, because we had such a big family, the older siblings had to watch the younger siblings. All right? And that was great for me for the first six years of my life. But then four more had to follow me, and then I had to watch them. But... But to be honest, it did teach me a lot of things. It taught me how to engage children. It taught me how to be responsible. And it taught me how to blame all the accidents on the younger kids. <laughs> one time, though, one time I was watching my younger uh, siblings at a park, which was right across from our house, okay? And uh, we were sitting there, we were playing tag on the slide, and one of my younger brothers, Jaren, okay? That name, name will mean nothing to you, but Jaren. <laughs> decided that he was going to flip himself over the slide and jump down. I got nervous. I got scared because he was too small, and that slide was too big for him to make that jump. So I dove for him. And I caught him at the last second, but it cost me. At the same time that I felt like the biggest brother in the world, I also felt the pain of the pebbles 
and the gravel and my arms and in my legs, all the scrapes and all the bruises, those are scars that I still carry with me to this day. I highlight this story, though, because my brother did nothing to earn being caught. But at the same time, it cost me a lot. He received that gift for free, but it cost me. This leads into our text for today. I'm going to read those texts a couple times, just because it's good to hear scripture throughout the whole time. So Galatians 5, 1 to 7, it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? How much is grace worth? Has anyone here seen the uh, 90s TV show Home Improvement? 90s TV show's Home Improvement, Tim Allen... I don't remember Al Borland's name, uh, but it's about a family, okay, about a family with a wife, she's pretty understanding, named Jill, three usually mischievous children, and a well-meaning but pretty clumsy husband and father named Tim, the Toolman Taylor, who is always looking to add more power into whatever it is that he's working with, whether that be an engine or a, a garbage disposal or lighting a grill, as we'll see in this clip. What happens is that he's trying to light the grill faster than anyone else in the world. So what he has there is rocket fuel. He's going to put rocket fuel on top of the charcoal that is in that grill. But now they're afraid because the fire is out of control, and so he tries to stop it. <laughs> and of course, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> And there is now a grill orbiting the moon. <laughs> All right. Not content to, grill, to light a grill fire with propane or charcoal, he used rocket fuel. That sounds like a smart idea, doesn't it? I mean, who of us here are actually willing and will settle for charcoal or propane when we could use rocket fuel? See, Tim Taylor in that... And that clip didn't realize that rocket fuel, adding something on top of the charcoal or propane, would cost him his grill. Sometimes we don't understand how the expectations that we put on people, how that will cost them. Believe it or not, the letter to Galatians actually talks about the same things. As we're figuring out the screen. The Galatians... Now, they weren't dealing with rocket fuel. They were dealing with added expectations, okay? The Roman government came to Galatia, and they conquered it. And that meant that they brought in all of their money. They brought in all of their gods, everything. The Galatians had to follow what the Romans were doing. And the Romans were pretty strict because history tells us that the Galatians were kind of unruly. And so the Romans had to sit there and keep them under a tight thumb. They had very strict rules. But one thing that they did do 
was allow greater benefits and freedoms for certain classes of people, namely the Jewish people. See, if you were a Jewish person in Galatia under Roman rule, and circumcision was essential to being Jewish, then you had to, or then you, then you had benefits and you had freedoms. It's easy to understand then how the Christians in Galatia thought that if they were circumcised, that it gave them greater liberties under the Romans, that maybe it would also give them greater liberties under Christ. After all, circumcision is a biblical concept. It's in Genesis. It's the first covenant given to Abraham. Effectively, they looked at the grace of God, the grace that God offered them, and thought that it needed something more. It needed rocket fuel. And everyone needed to fulfill this requirement. Everyone, every male needed to be circumcised if they're going to be called true Christians. That's why the Galatians letter is commonly called the grace letter. Because Paul tried as hard as he could from the beginning to the end to explain to them that if grace could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Let's look at this text one more time with this context in mind. Mind. It says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, which they would have been through circumcision. Mark my words, I, t- I Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race once. Who could end on you from obe- to keep you from obeying the truth? So how much is grace worth? Well, the first thing we need to understand is that to those who receive it, grace is free. In fact, when I asked the children to draw a picture for the bulletin today, which I don't have up here. I got one. When I asked them to draw a bulletin, or a picture for the bulletin today, this is the one we chose. One of the ones that was submitted for that was from Olivia Holly. Now, she didn't know what I was going to talk about. And we had just chosen her very recently, so uh, she couldn't come up on the, the bulletin today. But what she said on there was, has a picture of a dollar sign. It says, grace costs nothing. And I'm like, well, it's going to be a short sermon. <laughs> but it's good, though. It's good that she already knows this from a young age, that in the children's program is helping these children to understand that grace is free to those who receive it. It's absolutely free. There's nothing we can do to earn it. But if we're honest with ourselves, we try to earn it. We try to follow certain rules. We try to follow certain practices so that we can feel worthy of the grace that Christ is giving us. But the gift of grace isn't free if we put obstacles in front of it or if we put a price on it. A gift isn't a gift unless we accept it as such. If we're here today and we identify with that, if we identify with putting burdens on ourselves, trying to earn something that's already free, trying to feel worthy of this grace, of this love of God, then let me just echo right now the words for you in Matthew. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Because when we 
do that, when we put obstacles and expectations on grace, then we're effectively telling Christ that he died for nothing. Trust him. Trust his gift. Trust his grace. Because it's free. There's nothing we can do about it. This was decided 2,000 years ago on the gift, on the, on the gift of the cross, the redemption Christ's work on the cross. The curtain has been torn. We can enter the Holy of Holies. We can have a relationship with God. Grace that looks upon our past, our present, and our future, and still allows us to freely come to Him. We have been given a way to develop an intimate relationship with God. We have freely received grace. And that's amazing, absolutely amazing, that God can look at me, that He can look at us, and all of our humanity, and all of our brokenness, and everything that we do wrong, and that he still gives us grace for free. And because we have freely received grace, love demands that we should give it freely. And yet all too often we look at this grace that we have been given freely, and instead of freely giving it, we look for rocket fuel. We put a price on grace, and we set up barriers around it. See, some of us will know that we have grace that we can call our own, grace that covers our sins, and grace that will let us have a relationship with God. But then we go to other people, and we do not allow them to have that exact same thing. We all but require them to believe certain things before they can receive grace. And through doing so, we cheapen grace. We cheapen something that is already free when we put our expectations on it. I know I tantalized you with cake already, but we're going to talk about it again. Let's say carrot cake, cream cheese, frosting, some sprinkles. We're at a birthday party, okay? And what if this happened to you? The host is giving out pieces of cake at a birthday party. And as they're giving it out, you know, they're giving it for free and people are eating it. Well, then the host is called away. They have to go do something. The ice cream is melting. So someone steps in to serve a piece of cake, except this time they decide that they're going to give that piece of cake for a dollar. So everyone that comes up, they give that piece of cake, but the person has to pay a dollar. Well, then that person gets called away. The, um, the dishes are dirty, so that person has to go. And the next person comes up, and they're serving cake, except they had to pay a dollar for it already. So they're like, you know what? This person who wants this cake, they're going to have to pay a dollar and hop on one foot. And this keeps going over and over again as the hosts are called away and someone else comes until you have to pay a dollar for it. You're in line to get your piece of cake. You have to pay a dollar for it. Hop on one foot, rub your head, pat your belly, and sing Neil Diamond Shiloh in French. Would you do it? More importantly, would you do it when you know that there's people who received that piece of cake for free? This might seem like a ridiculous situation. You know, at the very least, no one's going to come to my birthday party anymore. But what we don't realize is that this is more gradual than we think. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. In the Bible, in Romans and Hebrews and Philippians, it talks about how believers, okay, believers are running a race. Uh, in fact, it was even in here in Galatians. In Galatians, it says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you? Okay, believers are running a race. And we only run the race because we get our free shoes of grace from Christ. We're only running the race with our free shoes of grace. 
And as we're running the race, you know, we're encouraging each other. You know, we're learning about the straight and narrow path that we should be taking. We're learning different techniques for running. You know, we're learning about the rules of running. You know, we're learning all these things, all um, and, and about the theology of what the prize is that we're running towards. All these things we're learning as we're running the race. But then we fall into a trap. See, we forget that the only reason we're running is because we have these shoes on. If we didn't have these shoes on, we wouldn't be running in this race. And we forget that um, the most important thing about running is grace. So instead of freely offering these shoes of grace to other people, to the people on the sidelines, instead of giving them something free that we've been given, we kind of hit them over the head with techniques on how to run. We kind of we try to make them follow our rules of running before they're even running the race. You know, we try to talk to them about our techniques for running, which is the Christ's instruction on our lives. We try to have them follow the rules for running, which is the commandments we hold dear. We try to tell them about our theology of the prize, but they're not even running. They're not even running the race yet. They're on the sidelines, and they just see us running. We try to make them memorize things before they're running the race. And we, we, instead of giving them shoes, instead of giving them grace, we give them a million reasons not to run the race because we are requiring steps two through ten before we even let them pass step one. We have put a price on grace, and in doing this, we have cheapened something already free to begin with. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now we're adding expectations onto grace for different reasons than the Galatians were. The Galatians were adding onto grace because they were trying to get a foothold in the government. We're doing it because we see the foundations of our society crumbling and we want to prevent others from gaining a foothold. And as distracting and as distressing as the world may be, if we can remember that God is on his throne, then we can view these events, this crumbling of our society in an entirely different way. See, we're now in a time where there are distinct opportunities where people are asking hard questions because they see this crumbling as well. Yet instead of approaching these people when they're seeking this answer and giving them the free grace that we have been given, we decide to step into line with politics. And this goes across the board. We endorse political agendas and legislative solutions. We are setting up godly things, but in a context away from God. We are putting things in the path of people's salvation. We're trying to say that grace is free, but as long as you follow these rules first. And in doing so, we lose the ability to say with the Bible that the law means nothing in light of Christ's work. We lose the ability to say that grace is free. We can't say it because it wouldn't be true. And tragically, because the foundations are being destroyed and because activism is prevalent in today's culture, we decide we'll become an activist. Now, there isn't anything wrong with becoming an activist, but it is wrong to be a slanderer. 
It is wrong to be combative and ugly. It is wrong to forget that the only thing that is separating me from the guy stealing in Walmart right now is not because I'm smarter than him. It's not because I'm better than him. It's because of the grace of God to me. Until the church learns to cry, we lose any right to shout. Until we learn to say that grace is free, then we don't have any right to speak. We have freely received grace. Love demands that we give it freely. And now for the past six months, we've kind of hammered away at the two people who came to our office and debated about baptism. They contended that baptism was essential to salvation. They said that baptism was essential to grace. Now, it's not baptism for us, but it is other things. Do we not see ourselves in them? Do we not see ourselves in the mirror? We've slowly taken God off his throne and placed ourselves upon it. All the while def- believing that we're defending his place on the throne. But listen to me. God doesn't need our defense. No matter what we do, no matter what the world does, God is on his throne. Jesus is king. Yes, we see the foundations of of our society crumbling, but that doesn't mean that we should stand and fight and add obstacles and legalism to free grace. We shouldn't try to make the gospel fit into some kind of law apart from God. We're like the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane with our swords in our hands, and Jesus is putting on ears right and left saying, have you learned nothing in the last 2,000 years? My kingdom is not of this world. We cannot take the place of the Holy Spirit. We cannot take the place of God. We're too broken, too human to convict and judge others in the world. Only the Holy Spirit convicts. Only God judges. In 1 Corinthians 5, it says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? God will judge those outside. God is on his throne, and he has told us that his grace is to be free. And when we give grace for free, it will cost us everything. How much is grace worth? Is it worth our discomfort with how vast it is? Is it worth going into the world through Christ's model of love, bringing them free grace, saying that this is brought to you because 2,000 years ago, someone moved heaven and earth to bring this to you? Is it worth the crumbling of our society? What worth did Jesus place on it? Was grace more important to him than saving Israel from Roman rule? Essentially, was grace more important to Jesus than the crumbling of the Israelite society. It was. You see, Christ could have instituted a government and reign on earth that would have forced everyone to follow God. But he didn't do it. He wanted people to accept his free gift of grace. Was grace more important to Jesus than following the rules of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Essentially, was grace more important than following the rules of God's people. Yeah. See, Jesus kept focused on what important. He demonstrated love, mercy, 
compassion, and grace. And Jesus kept this gift of grace as the most important thing, and it cost him everything. Grace cost him everything. So how much is grace worth? It should be no surprise that grace costs the giver. I mean, if someone were to give me a free car right now, hint, hint. If, <laughs> if someone were, see, Todd has his I love beer thing. I want my free car. <laughs> no. If someone were to give you a free car today, it would still cost someone to pay for that car. Maybe not the donor, because that might be a substantial tax write-off, but even then, it'll still cost someone. Or if we're going to buy a birthday gift for someone, it's going to cost us time to look for that gift. It's going to cost us money to buy that gift. It's going to cost us effort to wrap and present that gift. This is a free gift to the person who's receiving it, but to the person who's giving it, it costs. And that's how it should be done. Because when it doesn't cost the giver, it will cost the person who's receiving it. Let me illustrate it this way. Another time that I was watching my brothers and sisters in the backyard, we had this uh, play school jungle gym, one of those hard plastic things, you know, it's about, about this big by, by this big. There's one in the nursery right now. And on the inside, it had a little platform, and then on one side, there was a slide. And there's a lot of holes and things to crawl in, and just, just a fun thing. But it was about this high, and there was a ladder on one side that went from the bottom to the top. Now, a different brother, my brother Jonathan, was a very ambitious person from the very young age. And he decided to climb that ladder from the bottom to the top. He was only two at the time. And when he got to the top, he looked down and he became scared. And he said, Jesse, would you take me down? And you know what I said? No. I wouldn't have it. I was not going to take him down. It would have only cost me two seconds to go over to grab him and the muscle effort to put him down. But no, I was not going to do this. Instead, I went up to him and I showed him, try to, this is how you climb down. Or maybe this, here's some different techniques that you could do. Don't look down, you know, put that rule on him. Don't look down, just, just concentrate on climbing down. That's all I did. And I told him that you wouldn't get down unless you got down by yourself. Man. Well, he got down. You want to know how he got down? He got down by falling and breaking his arm. <laughs> I learned things. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't going to have it. I wasn't going to help him get down. You know, teach a man to fish, right? It wasn't going to cost me anything, but as a result, it cost him instead. See, grace is free to those who receive it. To those who give it, it's going to cost, and it might cost everything. And do not be fooled. It may seem like it doesn't cost us anything right now. But, and we may be getting away with like keeping a lot of expectations and rules on people instead of giving them free grace. But I guarantee you that it doesn't, if it doesn't cost us now, then it will cost us later. See, my brother getting down by breaking his arm didn't cost me a thing until I had to explain it to my parents. And then it cost me a whole lot. See, I don't remember that story because my brother broke his arm. I remember that story because of how my parents whooped me afterwards. <laughs> and the same thing is true for our Christian walk. At one point in our journey, we are going to be standing before the throne and God himself and giving an accounting of every single thing that we've done. 
we're going to have to look Jesus in the eye and explain to him why his grace, why his work for that free gift of grace wasn't good enough. We'll have to explain why we built something into the foundations of his grace. 1 Corinthians 3 says, 10 to 15 if you're following along. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though as only one escaping through the flames. We do not want to be the ones who are saved only by escaping through the flames. But if we don't allow grace to be free, we will be. And that's going to be hard. It's going to be hard because we know of the great things of God. We know about his love. We know about his compassion. We know about his mercy. And we know about his judgment. And we so desperately want to save people from his judgment that instead of giving them grace, we give them rules to follow. We try to take the place of the Holy Spirit in convicting a person about their relationship with God. Let me explain it this way. I am married. I have a lovely wife right there. And I have three wonderful children. Now, my oldest, Miriam, when she was a newborn, if I tried to explain to her physics, or if I tried to explain to her math, or music, or sociology, or physiology, and all that jazz, if I tried to explain it to her, it wouldn't have worked. She didn't care. She absolutely didn't care. But as she grows in her relationship with, with me and Katie and with the family and with this church and with the world, she will learn those things. Now, at the same time, a Christian, or I should say someone who's outside the church, okay, someone who's outside the church, they're not even born yet. They're still in the womb. If we try to explain to them the different things about our faith, what the what the prize is, what um, the trinity of God, the rules that you should follow, they're still in the womb. They haven't, come th- they, haven't, they haven't come through grace yet. But once they do come through grace, then they will learn through fellowship in the church. They will learn, more importantly, in relationship with God. The Holy Spirit will convict, but they have to enter through grace first. Think of the plant. We plant seeds We can water the seeds, but only God will make the plant grow. It will only grow because of God. It will only grow in relationship to God and with God. So let us stop focusing on building someone else's relationship with God or force them into some sort of fake relationship with him. And instead, let us lead them to the door of their salvation, of their relationship, and allow them to enter freely. Grace is free to those who receive it, but to those who give it, it will cost everything. During this time of invitation, if you are someone who 
likes to add things onto grace. If you want to find something, find some way to feel worthy of grace. This is a time for you to come to the altar and lay that at Jesus' Jesus's feet. To say, Jesus, we're not worthy to do anything on our own account. You did something so great and so amazing that we can just rely on you. We can trust in you and accept that free grace. And if we're here today and we like to add great, or obstacles onto other people's grace, that's something that we can lay down before Christ today too. The biggest thing to remember is that Christ is on his throne, Jesus is king, and when he issues his royal decree that grace is free, then we need to follow that. We need to follow that and let that be the rule of the land. Let grace be free. And sometimes we try to earn it through work. Sometimes we try to earn it through relationships. Sometimes we're trying to earn it through any means possible, and we try to make others earn it the same way. But we can't do that. Grace is free. And if you're here and you already know that grace is free, and you already know that, that grace will cost us a lot, well, then this is a time for you to come before God and experience the vastness of this grace. You see, it's so vast, it's so overwhelming that it should infect every single part of our lives. Every single thing that we do should mirror grace. If someone is, is bullying you, if someone is giving you a hard time, give them grace. If someone is at work and they're sitting there and they're talking down to you or they're not, they're not fulfilling all expectations, I mean, they have to fulfill their work expectations, but you can still give them grace. You can still come alongside them and mirror this grace. Grace is free to those who receive it. It'll cost everything to those of us who give it. So at this time, at this altar, lay our burdens down. Let's lay our burdens down and say to God that your gift on the cross was all we need. You know, some of us don't, don't think about what the gift that was given on the cross cost Jesus. All right? He was flesh. He was flesh. He had two eyes, a nose, a mouth. He had hands. He had joys. He had sorrows. He wept. He was happy. And yet, our sin brought him to that cross so that when he died and he rose again, he could give us something so amazing and so free that it didn't take anything of us. It was only him. Come at this time and say, Jesus, I remember what you did on the cross. You know, I sin and a whip goes across his back. I lie and blood goes down his head because of the thorns on his brow. That's how real it is. That's how real it is. And that's why we need to come to him and say, what you did was enough. It was more than enough. Because if I could have everything in the world and everything in the universe to give to you, it still wouldn't be enough for what you've given us. It will not match that gift because it's so vast, so amazing. 
that we can get it for free. So let's rise. We're going to pray, and then we'll sing. Lord, you paid it all. Everything. You paid everything for us to receive this gift of grace, Lord. You took the beatings. You took the bruises. You took the gashes, Lord. You took the cuts, everything. Your blood paid for this gift. And Lord, we do not want to cheapen that. We don't want to cheapen your work. We don't want to cheapen what you did. We want to accept it freely. Lord, just let this grace invade every aspect of our lives. Show us, Lord. Show us throughout this week, throughout the rest of this day, Lord, how this grace can invade our lives even more, how we can show this grace to every single person in every single situation, Lord. Open our eyes. Let us hear. Let us feel it, Lord. You've paid it all, and we thank you. Lord, guide us. Let those who are here today to respond to you, to respond to this grace, to respond to this gift that you've given us. Whether we haven't accepted it yet, or if we have and we've been putting other burdens on it, Lord, let us lay them at your feet and rest in you. Lord, we need you. We need your gift. In your name we pray. Amen.